Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. My name is Joe Barlow. Glad you're here. Man. Fathers. We're continuing in the series of fathers and fatherhood. Kind of coaching each other up. Rambling up some stuff from our past. Somebody shared with me this morning some stuff that they didn't know. Man, it's just different. Different. Found myself a couple weeks ago down the coast. I missed, I was down there working and uh, ran into a guy in the Holiday Inn getting breakfast. Had on a t shirt. <laughs> Old salty dog. Huh. I can't leave that alone. I'm there by myself. These two men, these two women are over there. I listened to the women hen peck for a while, and two guys were just kind of grumbling, eating their oatmeal and raising the brand, whatever it was. I got up at some point to go get something else to drink, more coffee or something, walked by, looked at them and said, man, grumpy old man, salty, excuse me, salty old, old salty dog, old salty dog. Yeah, we're on the coast, old salty dog. He kind of laughed and the other three looked at him like, man, what are you doing? He said, uh, they may call you an old salty dog, but like me, I bet they don't have any question about where you stand on something. Ah, <laughs> no, not at all. Man, I love that. I love that. And the other three are going, man, you don't have to bring that up. I mean, you can just let that alone. That's okay. Confrontation. It's not something I run from. How about you? I'm a recovering bull. If you're not familiar with a bull or a tortoise. They got a toll that. Turtle. Uh, you come to deer camp and you'll find out what a, what a lion, a bull, a tortoise, and a chameleon are. But I'm a recovering bull. My recovery piece in confrontation was sparked again the other day. Somebody parked their truck kind of parallel at an angle in front of my office building, blocking two parking spaces and went in a restaurant next door. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That didn't sit well. With, with the funeral. <laughs> I waited for a few minutes for the person to come back. He got in his truck. I didn't see him getting in his truck, but I stepped out of mine, walked around, and he was trying to close the door, and I put my hand on the door to kind of hold it open. He looked at me, and he said, mm -hmm, with an M and an F in it, you crazy? Sometimes. <laughs> he wasn't sure what to say to that. Scared me to death. He's reaching for a gun. I've already been in one armed robbery. I don't want to be in another one. Confrontation. How do you handle that? I had a situation with my brother just about two days earlier. We were of different opinions. We were confronting each other. Not arguing, but confronting. And I realized in my own awareness, I need to back off. If I'm going to be confrontational, I need to do it in love. Doesn't mean you can't express your opinion. Not with a pistol, but in love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of gathering here. I thank you for my brothers that are here. I thank you for the coffee and for the biscuit, chicken biscuit and sausage biscuit. Lord, I thank you for filling the word that he brings. Your word, Lord. May we open our eyes and open our hearts to receive it. Open our ears, hear it. Mm. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Morning, gentlemen. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. That's where I meant to be. That's right. That's right. Good to be here this morning. Um, I have to tell you a funny story about my week. I had um, a tooth cracked and uh, I had to have it extracted last Friday. And uh, man, I had dental anxiety. Uh, the, I had to go to an oral surgeon. Now in my mind, I think they ought to change the names of these oral, call them something else, but oral surgeon. That means he's gonna open my mouth and he's gonna start cutting. And uh, I had as much anxiety as a 
uh, six-year-old um, being asked to be quiet in church. And uh, I, I take Carla with me uh, and because uh, I didn't know how sedated I'd be. And we pull in the park lot and, and I look over and I say, sweetheart, if I don't make it out of here, I've enjoyed every minute of uh, our life together. And she just started laughing at me. It's like, you're such a coward. And I said, I know it, you know. I'm afraid I'm going to start crying any minute. And so, uh, we, you know, we get in there and the uh, little gal puts me in the seat. And I, I don't know if I look nervous or not, but I, I, I are nervous. Uh, I was very nervous. And uh, she takes that cotton swab and swabs my uh, mouth in order to numb the area where they're going to stick the needle in and really numb everything. And I have to admit to you, that was the most painful part of the whole process. I mean, that cotton swab was excruciating compared to everything else. And so he does his deal. It takes about 10 minutes. And of course, every time he tells me to open my mouth, that means close my eyes. Open mouth, close eyes. Because I didn't want to see anything that he was doing, right? So open mouth, close eyes. Open mouth, close eyes. And so... Um, 10 minutes go by, I'll bump it and close my eyes. And, and then I've got my eyes open. The little nurse comes in and she's got this green paper and two or three things and some uh, gauze and all that. And she's telling me what to do when I get home. And I look at her and I said, uh, is he not going to take out my tooth? And she looks at me with this big old grin. She says, he's already done that. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Wow, was I relieved. Uh, so, you know, I'm a coward. I admit it. And I'm just glad to be here this morning with a big old hole in the back of my mouth. So I'll get an implant uh, here eventually. Uh, and, my, and my wife's thinking about getting a new husband. I get a new tooth and she wants a new husband. Well, gentlemen, um, I want to offer you a song this morning. Uh, the song, um, I stumbled onto this. Um, Monsters by James Blunt. Uh, now, Eric Church uh, has his own version, but um, I chose James Blunt's uh, version because of the video, and you're going to see this. And um, the title, uh, when I first saw the title, I would have never thought that this story in this song would take me to where it did. Read with me, follow with me as I read just the first portion of the song. Monsters by James Blunt. Oh, before they turn off all the lights, I won't read you your wrongs or your rights. The time has gone. I'll tell you good night. Close the door. Tell you I love you once more. The time is gone. So here it is. I'm not your son. You're not my father. We're just two grown men saying goodbye. No need to forgive, no need to forget. I know your mistakes and you know mine. And while you're sleeping, I'll try to make you proud. So daddy, won't you just close your eyes? Don't be afraid, it's my turn to chase the monsters away. It's the journey of a father and a son coming to terms uh, with dad's death, his aging, the work of forgiveness uh, has been done. Two grown men sitting together. May you hear the voice of God and may it bring you back to a time um, of innocence with your own dad and maybe a need to forgive and do the work of father. <clears throat> Time has gone I'll tell you good 
Tears are welcome, gentlemen. Tears are welcome. Don't ever be afraid to cry. Uh, tears need to be invited into our lives deliberately and intentionally oftentimes because we've been taught uh, implicitly, if not actually explicitly, to not cry. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Follow with me as we dig into our series, um, Power of a Father, and read the introductory paragraph. There on your notes. As men in a culture under attack, we need an understanding of mature masculinity, a vision and direction we can pursue with our sons and daughters. We need tools, methods, and ideas to help us become godly men and from which to equip our sons and our daughters. We need to grow up. Then we've been using Jacob as a case study. Jacob, the patriarch of Israel, the father of a nation, is a troubling character in the Old Testament. 
He is conniving and he is spiritually spiritual too. He has moments of strong faith as well as of fear. His family is sometimes in disarray, and yet at the end, he is the one who, suggest, uh, who sets it straight. Jacob, whose very name suggests deceiver, is renamed by God as Israel, one who has struggled with God. And an entire nation is named after this patriarch, the nation of Israel. Jacob is a bit too much like us, like me, with very human strengths and weaknesses, but a man with a striving for spiritual things. From this imperfect man, we learn important lessons of faith, especially we learn about God's grace. Time to engage. Enjoy the adventure. Ceremonies make a difference. Ceremonies make a difference. Jeff, show that uh, slide. Ceremonies make a difference there in the kind of the, the, the last slide of the, of the notes, if you would. We'll kind of begin this morning with the end. Experience is needed. We need ceremony that gives us an experience of being initiated into manhood. And oftentimes, you know, those ceremonies can come in four seasons of our life at any time, of course, but puberty, that age of 13, high school graduation, that time, college graduation, and then even uh, marriage. I want to show you a picture uh, of ceremony um, at Deer Camp. Uh, many of you um, been here long enough to have met personally and have heard us talk about Tim Atkinson. And uh, Tim um, uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer uh, several years ago, and he fought uh, the hard journey uh, against the evil of cancer. Um, and he was working so hard in his treatment to be well enough to bring Josh and Jeff, his two sons, to deer camp in November. And I, Joe, I don't, uh, that was two or three years ago. I can't remember, something like that, but two, uh, two or three years ago. And um, man, Tim, he was sick from his treatment. He would get up in the circle and go over to the right, throw up, but he was bound and determined to bring Josh and Jeff into that circle. And um, this is obviously uh, Tim. Tim's as tall or taller than I am. He's probably six five or so. And Josh and Jeff, uh, he's hugging them there and um, on the deck. And one of the most powerful moments that we've ever had at Deer Camp was when um, Tim, after Josh and Jeff had shared their story in the circle, he grabs the stool and he sets the stool in front of Josh and Jeff, and he just powerfully blesses his sons. I haven't talked to Josh and Jeff since the funeral, because the funeral then, that was in November, and, and uh, Tim was gone in April or May. Uh, we had the funeral in South Haven, and several of us went up and spoke at Tim's memorial service. Um, Obviously had some time with Jason and Jeff at the funeral, haven't spoken to them since. But my guess is they'll never forget that time on the deck. Daddy fought hard and well to get them into a place that had changed his life. And he brought them into that circle and he blessed them. A ceremony. I believe that is a lot about what Deer Camp does, is that it, it, it's a ceremony. It's a fathering ceremony by the brotherhood of men. And those of us who love that circle know that we're being fathered by God uh, through one another. Uh, very, very powerful. 
So I'm going to ask you two questions. Pick up your pen. Ceremony. I want to ask you this question. When did you most feel ceremonied? I'm going to coin a word this, uh, this morning. Ceremonied or validated as a man by your dad. When do you remember your dad telling you in his own way, either verbally or non-verbally, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Did it happen when you were 13 in puberty? Did it happen when you graduated from high school? I was so disconnected um, and angry. I was just an angry young man. Uh, I didn't go to my high school graduation. I just was basically saying four letter words in my head. Heck with it. Heck with it. Didn't even go. And nobody cared. Nobody said anything. You know, okay. You don't want to go? You don't want to go? Wow. Really? You need to go to your high school graduation. You need to get your picture made with your dad. You need to be honored and blessed into manhood. Did that ever happen to you? So answer that question if you will. And if the answer to that question is never, then I would say that's a father wound. And you may want to read my blog that I posted on Sunday um, on our website, hardenlife.com or uh, bpointl.org blog is there in terms of uh, the father wound and how to heal a father wound. Um, we need that. And when we don't get that, there's a wound and that wound has to be healed in, in order for us to move on in a healthy way. Now you can survive, you know, you don't have to heal the wound to survive. You know, you can um, keep uh, 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 drinking water and suck air. Uh, you'll survive without healing, but you won't thrive. There'll be a governor on your life and you'll project that anger, that hurt, that insecurity, that feeling of abandonment onto your wife and others. And you won't even know that's happening. You'll teach them, those intimate people in your life, to play the role of your father or mother in those wounded people. You will get into a role play and not even know it, rather than live consciously and alertly. Second question I want you to respond to. And this is kind of a form of the first question. But second question, when did you feel most seen and heard by your dad? Seen and heard. Just kind of take that first question and tease it down more concretely. When did you feel seen and heard by your dad? Because that's what's so critical is that we have to be seen and we have to be heard. We have to be listened to. Now, I want to show you a, a video clip this morning as we start. And um, again, it's it's out of the uh, of the uh, film uh, that we've been using the power um, of or the um, um, show me the father video. And unfortunately, they took it down off of YouTube, so you can't watch it now. Uh, when we first started this series, you just go on YouTube and watch it. Well, they took it down. So you have to buy it or stream it or something. Or, or talk to Jeff. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff knows a guy. You know. Jeff can help you. But I want you to watch this because this is, this is the heart of a father. And I, I, I mean, there's so many good parts about this movie, but I think this, this segment here was what I was most amazed by. It's about an eight-minute segment. I'm going to only show you the uh, first part, four minutes of it. And I want you to watch this because it's about a father um, 
and uh, his wife, uh, a mother wanting to adopt um, uh, a baby out of China. And so they go through the normal process, but I want you to watch what happens here relative to hearing the voice of the father. This is amazing to me. Watch this. One day, my wife and I were on an airplane flying to New York City. I'm sitting on the airplane. I'm spending some time reading the scriptures, and I was reading in John chapter 10. I have other sheep that are not of this fold that I must bring to be a part of this fold. I'm looking at this passage of scripture, and God speaks to my heart crystal clear. It wasn't audible, but he, he communicates to me, I want you to be open to adoption. Well, this was totally unexpected. And I turned to my wife and I said, I think God wants us to be open to adoption. Well, she smiles and I didn't realize that she had been praying for me for two years that God would turn my heart towards adoption. I felt like the Lord was confirming something that he'd been stirring in my heart for years. A friend of mine was in the process of adopting and she was sharing about the kids in orphanages in China that didn't have a mom and dad, and I was sold. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote down in my Bible, adoption, next to that verse, and I dated it. Fast forward two years. We filled out all the paperwork, and then they begin to send us referrals. We get this picture on my phone of this cute little girl in another country. She had a cleft palate, and uh, she was precious. They said, do you want to adopt this child? We were thinking, we got 24 hours to make a decision. And unexpectedly, this strong heaviness comes over me. It was weird. It was almost like this dark cloud comes over my heart, like something is not right. It didn't make sense to me. And so it's making me sleepless at night. I'm praying, I'm talking to Jill. And I remember calling a friend and uh, she advises people on adoptions. And she said, Stephen, this is too big of a decision. If it is not a clear yes, then it's a no. So when Stephen turned down that first referral, I cried. Well, then a few days later, they send us another referral. Same thing happens. Precious girl, beautiful, heaviness, something's not right, I turn it down. It happens again about a few weeks later. They send us another referral, heaviness. and. I eventually turned down four referrals. I called the adoption agency and I said, how does this work? Because this is not fun anymore. And I began to be worried about what are people gonna think about me? I know there's no child that's perfect. What's wrong with me? I'm struggling here, this is hard. The next month, the adoption agency quit sending referrals. And to be honest, I was relieved. <laughs> I was like, this is harder than I thought. We're on this emotional roller coaster now every time they send a referral. And then a fifth referral pops in my email inbox. And I was like, oh no, here we go again. Oh no, oh no, here we go again. Now, I invite you to watch the rest of that. Uh, the fifth one turns out to be Mia, their little girl. and. She was beautiful and they loved her and adopted her. The reason I'm showing you that is because how do you invite a process of adoption and then just out of the quietness in your heart and you're praying, how do you say no? How do you do that? Okay, God, give us, give us a child. Okay, here's a child. And you do that four times. Now, guys, I want that kind of intimate relationship with the living God. Don't you? That you can pray to God and God speaks to you. Now, if you just had an obedient viewpoint, obedience, a wooden do it sort of deal, 
no intimate relationship. Okay, adoption. Okay, sweetheart. I guess this is it. Whatever we got is what we got. No, that's not the way God works. How do you say no four times? The way you say no four times is because you hear the voice of God, the Father, in your heart. And you don't hear the voice of God in your heart if you don't have a clear, forgiving spirit with your earthly father. I know the Kendrick brothers story enough because of this film. They had a great dad. He blessed them. Stephen Kendrick that you just saw has an FM signal dial into the heavenly father and he could really discern the voice of God saying, no, this is not the right one. Do you? Do you believe God speaks? Is your heavenly father intimately connected to you? I want you to turn to your partner and just share whatever you would share at this point about how you answered those first two questions and how you hear the voice of God today or not. Just share for a couple minutes. Go. <laughs> gentlemen let's continue wish I could give you more time turn over to Genesis chapter 28 and let's take a look at Jacob what we learned from Jacob as a, as a case study this is an amazing passage uh, of cultural dysfunction and gentlemen we are in a battle every day in our culture to live our lives according to the culture or to live our lives according to kingdom citizens. I am a kingdom citizen, first and foremost. Um, I don't want to be a victim of the culture around me. And this passage is so full of cultural dysfunction that Jacob has to walk through and live in. Look at chapter 29. We pick up with verse 28. And by this time, uh, Jacob is married and um, he's got Leah and the dysfunction is all around him. Listen to this. Verse 28, chapter 29. Jacob agreed when he had completed the honeymoon week, Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his maid, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her maid. 
And Jacob then slept with her because he already had Leah. He'd worked seven years to get Rachel. He wound up with Leah. And now he's got Rachel. He's got two wives. How do you think that really works? <laughs> you know, in a crazy fraternity uh, type way, that's great. Two wives. Now, only fraternity guys think that's a good idea. <laughs> and he loved, let's see, uh, where am I? See, Jacob then slept with her and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Not good. He loved Rachel. And do you think Leah picked up on that? Or Leah picked up on that? Oh, no. Leah was so forgiving. She would never be a jealous wife. Of course not. Because this is Bible times. And, you know, if it's in the Bible, then this was not dysfunctional. Dude, that's the cool thing about God. He allows the crazy dysfunction to be written right into Scripture, but it doesn't mean because it, well, it's in the Bible. Well, go get you another wife then. See how that works out. <laughs> and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He worked for Laban another seven years. And when God realized that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah became pregnant and had a son. She named him Reuben. Look, it's a boy. This is a sign, she said. Now listen to this, that God has seen my misery, you know, the unloved wife, and that a sign that now my husband will love me. And in your study Bible, it says, surely my husband will love me now. We've had a baby. How many times in my counseling office... Have I heard the story of, and you know, we, we couldn't get along. We were fighting like cats and dogs, and we decided to have a baby. <laughs> really, dude? That pays my mortgage. That's what that's called. That pays my mortgage. Hallelujah. Right, John Michael? It's like, surely my husband will love me now. We got a baby. She became pregnant again and had another son. God heard, she said, that I was unloved, and so he gave me this son also. And she named this one Simon, God heard. And she had became pregnant yet again, another son. And she said, now maybe my husband will connect with me. She's still in that struggle to connect with herself. I, I've given you four boys. Do you love me now? That's why she named him Levi, connect. And she became pregnant a final time and had a fourth son. And she said, this time I'll praise God. So she named him Judah, praise God. And then she stopped having children. Oh, by the way, how do you think Rachel was handling all this? You know, you know, what's up with that, God? You know, what am I, chopped liver over here? You know, you're just the second wife. You're just the second wife. All through the rest of chapter 30, We've got this dynamic going on between Rachel and Leah. It's, it's, it's right here. Verse 1, when Rachel realized that she wasn't having any children, oh, wonder what that felt like to Jacob. She became jealous of her sister. Oh, that's in the Bible. You can't believe everything in the Bible. She would never be jealous. Dude, this is ridiculous. She told Jacob, give me sons or I'll die. What's Jacob supposed to do about that? Jacob got angry with Rachel. I Am I God? Am I the one who refused you babies? Rachel said, here's my mate. Oh, here's the answer. Oh, okay, I got it. Here's my maid Bilhah. Sleep with her and let her substitute for me so I can have a child through her and build a family. So she gave him her maid, Bilhah, for a wife, and Jacob slept with her. Bilhah became pregnant and gave Jacob a son, and they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> Dude, Jacob, go back. It's a trick. Don't do it. Don't do it. Bad idea. Rachel said, God took my side and vindicated me. He listened to me and gave me a son. 
and she named him Dan, vindication. Rachel's made Bilhah became pregnant again. Evidently, Jacob was kind of enjoying himself and gave Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, I've been in all an all-out fight with my sister, and I've won. And she named him Nephetalia. Fight. See there? Gotcha, sister. And when Leah saw that she wasn't having any more children, she gave her maid, Zilpha. I mean, this is out of control. To Jacob for a wife. And Zilpha had a son for Jacob. And Leah said, how fortunate. And she named him Gad, lucky. And when Leah's maid Zilpha had a second son for Jacob, Leah said, a happy day. The women will congratulate me on my happiness. So she named him Asher. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> Dude, this is like dysfunction junction. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip ahead. And look at verse 22. And then God remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. And she became pregnant and had a son. She finally has a son. And she said, God has taken away my humiliation. And she named him Joseph, adding, may God add yet another son to me. Now, when she had Benjamin, um, she named him, just previously, she named him Ben-Onai. And the reason that she named her first son Ben-Onai is because Ben-Onai means son of my trouble. And Jacob didn't like that, and so Jacob didn't see it as trouble. He was really blessed by having the son by Rachel, the one he truly, truly loved, and he changed Ben-Onai to Benjamin because the word Benjamin means son of my right hand. He wasn't son of trouble. I, I, I'm not going to let us call our son, your son, trouble. No, he's my right hand. Now, guys, here's what I want you to understand about this passage. There is so much cultural dysfunction in this whole passage. Um, the idea, first of all, in the cultural system, daddy reigned supreme. Laban is the one who started this whole mess. Because Leah and Rachel did exactly what daddy said. And daddy tricked Jacob gave um, Jacob Leah first rather than Rachel when he had committed to uh, do the deal with um, uh, Jacob to uh, give uh, him his second uh, daughter, youngest daughter, Rachel. And it's like, daddy rules the roost. And guys, sometimes you need to say no to your daddy. And when you're in a family system to where everything is done daddy's way, that might not be the best way or the godly way. But that was part of the culture. The other part of this whole cultural dysfunction was polygamy. Polygamy, multiple wives. God never ordained that. God said marriage is between a man and a woman. That was not God's intent. That, that is Babylonian culture gone wild. The other part of the cultural piece that you get here is fathering children through other women. Oh my goodness, these handmaids, these, these maids being given. Once again, that's Babylonian culture infused into the biblical narrative. God didn't ordain that. It was just dysfunction every place. Guys, I would, I would just say this. Oh, by the way, let me just share this with you. Um, some of you know who Rosaria Champagne Butterfield is. She, um, um, Joe's a recovering bull. Uh, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield is a recovering um, lesbian. And... Um, 1999, she came to Christ. She uh, was an English professor at Syracuse University and was fully engaged in the uh, LGBT uh, culture, led to the Lord by a Presbyterian minister that happened to be her neighbor. 
And her book that I would strongly encourage you to read, which is really just a beautiful story of redemption, is The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert by Rosaria Butterfield. And she is now uh, married to Kent Butterfield, uh, um, a Presbyterian minister and a, a mother of two daughters. And she's spoken here in Jackson at First Pres, and just a godly woman and um, is, a, is a voice uh, into our culture. Uh, several weeks ago in early April, she posted a blog um, and the blog is entitled this, Why I No Longer Use Transgender Pronouns and Why You Shouldn't Either. So powerful from a godly woman. Let me just read to you just a portion of this. This is, I'm sharing this in the context of this idea of culture uh, in infiltrating us and us going more by cultural cues than biblical cues. Listen to what Rosaria Butterfield says. A civil war erupted within broad evangelicalism and the idol of LGBTQ plus is dividing the house. The issue is personal, political, and spiritual for me. In 1998, I became one of the first crop of so-called tenured radicals, quote unquote, in American universities, proudly touting my lesbian street creed. In 1999, Christ called me to repentance and belief, and I became a despised defector of the LGBTQ plus movement. But progressive sanctification came slowly and I have failed many times during these past decades. After I learned lessons, I have earnestly tried to course correct. And that's the problem. My use of transgendered pronouns was not a mistake, it was sin. Public sin requires public repentance, not course correction. Now, this is strong. We need to hear more of this language. I have publicly sinned on the issue of transgender pronouns, which I have carelessly used in books and articles. I have publicly sinned by advocating for the use of transgender pronouns in interviews and public Q's and A's. Now, she goes on, and Jeff will post this article out I'll get it to Jeff and post it on the website. You can pull this up. But she finishes the, the blog after she details uh, just how she sees the use of transgendered pronouns as not just wrong and not just cultural, but sin. She finishes the article by saying this. We who have promoted the sin need to stand up and repent. I'll start. I repent. May God forgive me. Would anyone like to join me? Guys, we are frogs in the pot if we're not careful of our culture. We'll get cooked and not even know we're being cooked. Sexual sin is like no other. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 indicates that some sin is different than other sin. And I would say sexual sin, the use of pornography, um, sex outside the context of marriage uh, to your wife, um, any kind of sexual sin sets you up um, for more tragedy and more dysfunction in your personal life and in the life of your family. One of the things that scares me about my own sin is not that it would destroy my life, but that somehow it would have an impact on my girl's life. And sexual sin is like that. Guys, when you're looking at porn, you're destroying your own personal life and it will have implications in terms of how you father. Um, Sex outside the, uh, the context of marriage will come back to bite you. Sex outside the context of marriage is kind of like Chinese food. You just can't get enough and you're always hungry. You know what I mean? Isn't that the way Chinese food works? And yet, in the context of this passage that we're looking at, God can make beautiful things out of brokenness. I mean, he gave Leah children. 
He finally gave Rachel children. And so we can easily read that when God starts making beautiful things out of brokenness, well, God, God's ordained the whole thing. No, flowers, flowers will grow out of a sidewalk crack, right? You've seen that happen. So just because there's flowers doesn't mean that God's ordained it. It means that you cannot stop God's blessing. I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to finish with this this morning. Guys, this is the way we're to live. Listen to this. So powerful. Such a wonderful invitation. Such a, a, a fathering to all of us. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, verse 20. But that's no life for you. You learn Christ. Now, easily implied at that point, it's like, what the hell are you doing? What, what are you thinking? Is kind of implied in that. What, what are you doing? You learn Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything connected with that old way of life, has to go. Has to go. It's a different way to live. It's a different way to think. It's rotten through and through. Oh, it's not that bad. It's just part of our culture. That's what we do in Mississippi. That's what we do in America. That's what we do. That's what men do. Mm -mm. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Character matters to me. I'm not nearly the man that I want to be but I want to be a man of character. Don't you? I want to be fathered by God. I want to be held accountable by men in this room. I want to be loved and supported by men in this room. Um, I, want to, I want to be loved and I want to love. Fathering matters. And we have a great heavenly father. May you hear his voice and be seen by him this day and all the days of your life. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for our time this morning. Father, help us to hear your voice. We've got so much crazy static going on in our lives, inside and out. Help us to overcome the culture in a way to identify uh, with you. We are square-knotted, tethered to you in a way that brings honor to you and healing to us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day.